Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Today's sermon is given by Pastor Billy Kim, Director of Communications at 180 Church and Chaplain at NYU. So, Happy Lunar New Year, everybody, Um, and welcome back, uh, college students. It's good to see you guys again. Now, for those who are not familiar with Lunar New Year, um, it is actually a very important holiday holiday for many and most Asians around the world um, because it's um, a time where uh, we celebrate with our family and friends. And you know that this this holiday is actually very important because it's probably the only time uh, of the year where all the Asian stores are closed, especially Chinese food restaurants. Um, the reality is, is that, and, and it's true, like Chinese food restaurants in America will be open on Thanksgiving. It will be open on Christmas. Um, it will be even open on the most stormiest weathers and even in a blizzard. I remember one time, like it was an incredible uh, blizzard in Staten Island that came out of nowhere. And there was this one restaurant that would actually deliver on foot uh, in a half mile radius. Right, uh, but uh, a Lunar New Year or the uh, Chinese New Year is probably the only time where everything closes because um, it's a special time where family and friends gather together around the world uh, to spend time with one another to celebrate the New Year uh, with lots and lots of food. Like for example, uh, last year there was a couple of us that actually celebrated um, in the old Mulberry apartment. May it rest in peace. Um, and what we did was we actually had three hot pots going because there was a lot of us um, and we had an incredible spread like we had bok choy we had uh, beef and um, we had beef and lamb we had lotus root we had enoki mushrooms which was like one of my favorites Um, they had corn we had everything that was all across the table and I, and I was there, and I was so excited because as the, the hot pot was boiling, you know, you could just smell the flavors. Um, and, and while everything was preparing, it just made me want to, it made me salivate. Like, oh, sorry, I'm salivating right now a little bit just talking about it. Uh, and, you know, we, and, and I got really hungry. I was really starving because everything was going together. And once everything was done and ready and everything was prepared, you know, of course, I was the first one to put my chopsticks in. And when I put my chopsticks in, there was a couple of people in the group that told me to stop. And in my mind, I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a church. I'm a pastor. They probably want me to pray. <laughs> but it was nothing spiritual like that at all. Uh, they stopped me not because they wanted to pray, but it's because they actually wanted to take pictures of the food. You know people like that in your group? You know, they have to. They need to take pictures before you eat, right? I'm a little guilty about that myself. I do that sometimes, no lie. But you know, there's one or two people in the group that no matter what, they make you stop everything because they have to rearrange everything, organize it, put all the colors in the right place, angle it in a proper way to get the perfect aesthetic picture to make it as beautiful uh, in their IG story or whatever uh, story in their cameras so that it could be the most appetizing and the most pleasing. Right? And you know, I, I start by sharing this story because I think that's actually a great picture of 
are of humanity's desire and innate longing for beauty, right? And, and it's funny because it's just food. You know, food is something that you just eat. Sometimes it's supposed to be, it's meant to consume. It's functional. It's supposed to be efficient. But yet, something as simple as food and the aesthetics and the beauty of food uh, is something that we want to stop and capture the moment of and try to uh, embrace the beauty of it, right? And it shows that no matter how efficient that we might want to be as human beings or how efficient we would like to be, um, deep inside of us, the human heart is designed to long for and desire beauty. Like, for example, another, uh, another situation um, that I want to share is that something that happened a couple of weeks ago um, in, a, in a global world when uh, Trump, uh, not destroyed, but assassinated the uh, commanding, uh, general major, general commander of the Iranian government. I think I got that wrong. I definitely got that wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, but you guys know what I'm talking about. But uh, so one of, one of the big things that, were, uh, that was uh, a problem with that situation was that in the escalation and the tension that was going on between um, us and Iran, uh, one of the things that Trump wanted to do was uh, attack the cultural sites of the Iranian government. And uh, Pentagon and uh, Trump had a problem with that because there's this thing called uh, the law of armed conflict. You know, and in the law of armed conflict, there's an agreement that we had with many nations where uh, there's, a, there's a rule or a treaty where we're not supposed to attack or destroy or avoid and avoid any special cultural religious sites, right? And you know, in a practical point of view, that doesn't make any sense because if you're hostile to one another and you wanna, you wanna and it's about wins and losses, you just fight and destroy anything in sight because you wanna win, right? But I think perhaps we actually have grown a little smarter along the, uh, over our histories as a species with the many wars and we realize, hey, if we start destroying and attacking everything in sight and everything becomes to rubble, there is no culture that we will have anymore. There is no art. There is no beauty that we will have left. And uh, when I read that, I thought that's actually a very great picture of what the vision of the church is and actually what the heart of what the gospel is. That in the mess of the world, and there's a lot of mess in our world right now, you know, you just have to just click on the news and, you know, you just see like countless of, of all the horrendous things that are happening, happening globally and even nationally in our, in our lives and in our world, and you see the mess of it. But in spite of the mess, you know, God's call and the heart of God is to preserve, protect, and even restore the things that are actually beautiful in our world and in our lives. You know, for many of you guys here who are new right now um, or just, just came to our church, uh, we, we're in this series called Vision. And uh, what we've been going through uh, in this series is why does the church exist? You know, why do we do what we do? You know, why is a faith community necessary? And, you know, we've been going in the past couple of weeks since the beginning of the new year, or, you know, I, coincidentally, today is also a new year in a way, um, to understand what that actually means. And today, what I want to talk about is why a faith community is necessary to join God to restore beauty, and particularly the word beauty, and what that means, and what that looks like in our lives and into the world. All right? And so that's what I'm going to answer today. And so as we go um, into Isaiah 61, I want to answer that question. And when we go into Isaiah 61, what we find ourselves in 
is that the Israelites are actually captured uh, by the Babylonians. Um, in other words, they are enslaved. Uh, they are taken away from their homeland. Uh, they are wandering in a foreign land, uh, subjugated into captivity. In other words, they found themselves in a mess, right? They found their friends in a mess, and their surroundings were a mess, right? And you guys could relate to that in one degree or another, right? Have you guys felt like you were in a mess before? Right? We all have, right? How many of you guys are a hot mess? Uh, how many persons, if you look at the person next to you, you're like, that person might be actually a really hot mess, right? <laughs> but no, the, the truth is, I'm a hot mess too, right? We're all in it, but that's what's actually going on here right now. The, the Israelites were in a mess. They were in a conflict. Uh, they were feeling very uh, overwhelmed. And although we might not relate to them personally um, in a physical level where they have, they're experiencing physical captivity, uh, for many of us, we could understand the emotional, spiritual, um, and even psychological captivity that we often uh, feel imprisoned by and we experience. And so as the Israelites are experiencing these things in multiple levels, God uses a prophet and speaks into their situation and circumstance. And this is what he says. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. In other words, what God is saying in, these, in this moment to the Israelites is saying that I see you. He's saying, I see the injustice. I see the pain. I see the suffering that you're enduring. I see the struggle and the, and the hardships that uh, you are encountering and you are feeling externally and internally right now. And I just want you to know that I understand, I see, and I'm going to make uh, what's wrong right. And the first thing he does in order to actually come to a place to make wrongs right is this very verse in verse 3 where he says, to start with, he was going to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now, what is a crown of beauty, right? What does that mean? What does that imagery entail, right? Uh, to, but before I answer that, I want to talk about ashes, right? And in the Jewish culture, ashes are very important because they actually represent grief. They actually represent sadness, sorrow. And in this moment, that's what the Israelis are experiencing. Like I has told you, you know, they're in captivity. So they are, they're experiencing an external and internal ash that's actually going around. Right? In other words, they put dust in their heads. You know, that's the tradition. Because what they're saying is that position it feels and their spirit is so low and they feel so brokenhearted and so heavy-hearted. Uh, that's what they feel like. They feel like the dust in the ground. And in that, um, in that position, what, what the Israelites are feeling, God actually sees that and recognizes that and, and calls them out on it. And he calls forth to them who they really are, which is a crown of beauty. Because a crown is what? It's something that you put on your head. It's a, sound, it's, it's a, it's, um, a representation of your position of who you are. And what this passage is actually saying to the Israelites and even to us who might be going through whatever we might be going through, he is reminding the Israelites and to us our position. And the position that we are in is going back to the original design of who we really are as a son and daughter of God. 
because that, and that's what he calls it a crown of beauty. Right? Now, when I mean talk about beauty, right, I'm not talking about Prada bag beauty. Right? I'm not talking about Gavinci or Balenciaga. Okay? Is, did I say it right, Balenciaga? <laughs> right? Or I'm not talking about some of you college students, you love your K-pop stars and your K-pop idol, idols. I'm not talking about that beauty. Because in the Bible, when they talk about beauty, it's actually synonymous with actually the word good. You know, when, when God created the heavens and the, uh, and the earth and had creation, it said he, he made it and it was good. When he created man and woman, he said it was good. And actually that word good is actually synonymous with beauty. So in other words, you could say when God created the heavens and the earth, it was beautiful. When he created you and me, it was beautiful. When he, per when he created the person next to you, look at the nurse person next to you. They made you, he made you and I beautiful. Isn't that nice? Right? You and I beautiful. And sometimes, and here's the thing, the, the, the struggle is a lot of times we don't feel like we are beautiful. Right? Most of the times, we feel very ugly. We, like I said, we feel like a hot mess. Like we feel like ashes. Maybe except for Dr. Sam. He's like, yo, I'm hot all the time. <laughs> I know. He, yo, he knows, how to, he knows his fashion, man. He knows He dresses me. <laughs> he gave me that leather jacket. And he said, this will make you look good. <laughs> but but uh, going back to it, you know, like most of the times, we don't feel beautiful. We don't feel like we're royalty. We, don't we lose sight about who we are in our identity. But that's what this passage is talking about. That passage is talking about a restoration of who we truly are and what we're made in the, uh, in the original design of what we're created to be in, in the beginning of Genesis. Like, for example, a good story about that was um, about, uh, there's this beautiful story that I read in IG about a beautiful man in our community. I don't think he is here right now. But the reason why I call him a beautiful man is not because he's like literally beautiful, is because he's a guy that loves to take a lot of selfies. I mean, just to let you know, this guy it was so, is so full of himself. At one time during the Lent season, if you don't know what Lent, uh, Lent is, it's something where you give up something to fast. Um, one of his was to give up selfies because he looked, or mirrors, because he looked at himself way too much. Right? There was another time that there was a, like a secret Santa, and he gave his uh, person a calendar of all pictures of himself. <laughs> like I said before, he thinks he's a very beautiful man. Uh, but uh, he recently shared, a, and if you guys don't know what his name is, his name is Anti Corvinelli, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him out. But uh, recently I read his IG story, and it was actually something that I found to be very touching and very powerful because he shared about a story about how him being in this community where he found, his pla found the place where he found home. And it's a and and he, he, he went on to share that in his life, he literally said that he's like a lone wolf. That's his words, not mine. Um, and that's how he lived his life. Because for him, he was saying that, like, you know, if you're detached with people and you keep yourself away from people, I mean, you won't get hurt, right? Um, you won't feel the pain of rejection. You won't feel the, the pain of loss. So he always kept people in an arm's distance. And he continued to share that he lived his life for many years like that, but the more he lived his life, the more emptier and lonelier that he became. And um, it was to a point where it actually led him to a place called 180 and to a place of community. And he was sharing that in, that, in, in his journey of being in this community and in this journey of being in 180, he eventually found his way back to God. 
and found that God to be his Lord and Savior. But what was actually uh, interesting about that journey is that it was actually the community of God that he was saying that actually helped them heal to get to that place. That it was actually the community of God that came to a place where it opened his heart to a place where he felt so distant to a place of vulnerability where not only he could actually receive God for his life, but to be able to love God in return and love others maybe a little bit more than himself. You know? And uh, when, I read, when I read that, I found that to be so powerful because I saw Anthony, uh, like, and he's been here for like, for like such a long time, four or five years, right, Stu? Like four or five years, right? Um, and in this incredible journey of just walking through life in these, in these four years who I never expected to uh, like be here this long in that way, you just saw God working through the, through the, through the catalyst of, of God's community in his life to open up those places where he could actually experience the healing and the restoration for him to actually love well. You know, that's what it actually means when God is saying uh, a crown of beauty for ashes. You know, the areas in our lives where we find ourselves in a mess. You know, the areas in our lives where we think that no, nothing can heal in those places. Those, those areas in our lives where we wonder if we're ever going to be forever broken in that place, where we find such helplessness in our lives. What the passage is saying here and the call of the church and who we are is to, be, to remind people that there is a place of restoration and rest in this place and is found in Christ. And we're just agents of the church that actually just reflect that. You know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible where um, there is a woman, a sinful woman, they called her the sinful woman, and she had an alabaster jar, right? And uh, she broke it in front of Jesus and poured the oil in front, um, all over, uh, all over uh, Jesus' head to toe. And you see the disciples and the Pharisees of the law and everyone come together and they were muttering. They were like disgusted, they scoffed because that alabaster jar that's worth probably like 30, 40,000 of the perfume, he, they thought it was a waste, you know? And they were like indignant of this woman, this sinful woman that would uh, waste the very thing that probably was her life savings on something like Jesus. And you know what Jesus said in front of all these people? You know, he says, um, he rebuked them. He says, even though, like, he's like, don't, don't stop this woman from doing this thing for, to me because she is doing a beautiful thing and something that she will be remembered for all eternity. And it's a story that you find in the New Testament. And the reason why I share this story is because where a lot of, where these Pharisees and even the disciples saw this woman as someone of a waste, someone that's not of worth, right, a mess, God saw something that's something of, of immeasurable worth because there was a daughter that was coming back home. And why I share that with you guys is because um, in this mess that we might find ourselves in and even the places where we think that we're such a waste, the good news of the gospel and the truth and the beauty of the gospel is that nothing comes to waste when you put everything poured into Christ. That everything, if you choose to pour everything in God, your mistakes, your, your shortcomings, your sins, whatever what you might think of, or even the most darkest broken places, when you surrender that and you give that to God, he has an amazing, powerful way to transform whatever that might be into something that is beautiful. 
and something beautiful that God uses to bless, uh, bless, other, bless himself and bless others in this world. So what is the first point? So what does it mean to be a community that restores beauty? We are called to be a flawed but forgiving and restorative community. The reason why um, uh, and we're, we're a healing community. And, and I just want to just give you context because and I just want to say that what I don't mean is that this church or any church is a perfect community. Don't get me wrong here. I know people are like, yeah, yeah, definitely the church is not a perfect community. You know, we're a healing community and we're called to be a community, but we're not a perfect community. Because I will tell you right now, especially the new people here, somehow, some way, I'm, the past, I'm one of the pastors here, but I will f- offend you one way or another. And I think I offended everyone here one way or another um, over the course of my relationship with every one of you guys, and I apologize in advance. And the reason why I say that in advance is because I am blunt. Um, I say stupid things. Sometimes I say things without thinking, and I offend people that way. But, I'm sorry, I could have, because everyone was like shaking their heads. I was like, man, I really offended a lot of people. I was like, good. But, uh, but what makes the church community so unique and special is not the fact that we're, we stand ourselves as a perfect community, but we stand ourselves as an imperfect community that, that seeks to forgive and look out for one another. You know how Dr. Sammy preached last week about Vin Diesel, you ride or die? There's another, there's another uh, special phrase that uh, Fast and Furious uh, says too. They say family. Right? They said, what are we? Family. You know, if you look at all the Fast Furious movies, what makes it so, because, you know, Fast and Furious movies are so dumb. Right? I'm in, I'm in, a, I'm in, I had a big argument with that, but why is this such a f- franchise? Why is this dumb movie about cars so appealing to everybody? It's because it, it tailors to the idea and the theme of family. And sometimes family, they're annoying. I have two older brothers. I annoy the heck out of them because I'm the youngest. They get mad at me all the time, and maybe that's why I offend so many people, because I act like childish sometimes. But with family, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what your preferences are. It doesn't matter if they offend you. The, 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 what comes together at the end of the day is that you come to a place, because your family, because your brothers and sisters in Christ, you come to a place where you fight for reconciliation. Right? You fight for healing. And that's why that's what makes the church so powerful because in the center of it, how Christ forgave us and is redeeming us in our mess, we love and accept and care and even forgive other people in our mess. And that's my side note in this, I'm sorry. But that's what, it, but that's what it's about. We're a community that loves people in their flaws and forgives because we are a healing community in that way. So that's my... And, and, you know, and, and a good picture of that is actually, and I love this, and I'm not an artistic person myself, but uh, what I love is the idea of the mosaic. You guys know what a mosaic is? Uh, some of you guys are shaking your head yes, some of you know. A mosaic is a piece of art where they take broken pieces of whether it's glass or material, and they bring it all together to make something really beautiful. Right? In, it, in itself, it's just broken glass and material. Like, it's wasteful, it's pointless. But if you glue it all together and you bring it all together, all these random broken pieces um, actually can actually create a beautiful art. And I believe that that's actually a good picture of our church, of the church, not just 180, the church. You know, we're a mosaic. Each, each and individual one of us, we're broken pieces, right? 
But in Christ, as Christ is the glue within our community, in this faith and community, he could create something that's actually very beautiful when we all come together um, as Christ in the center. So we are a flawed and forgiving community because we're a mosaic. Right? So that's the question I have for you guys today. What, uh, in what ways is God calling you to be part of the mosaic of this community or just the mosaic at large and to see others in that lens of restoration? And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be able to convict you and show you that in your life. So that's the first point. And so as we go on, let's go to the next one. The church is not just supposed to be a flawed and forgiving community, uh, but there's more. And uh, we're going to go to the next part of verse 8, and we're going to talk about it. And it says this. It says, Isaiah, or the prophet in Isaiah 61 says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now the question is, what does, an, what does an oak of righteousness actually look like? What does it mean? Right? An oak is something that brings stability. An oak is something that actually bring, uh, is actually, that's actually stable. Right? And this very image actually, once again, goes back to Genesis about the original create, uh, to the original creator of who we are, uh, of, of where we come from, and actually the purpose of what we're made to be. And it actually is something that Jesus actually talks about when it talks about trees, because it goes back to the Garden of Eden, where he actually talks about a seed, a, a mustard seed, right? Where as something as small as a mustard seed that is planted, he says the kingdom of God grows and actually becomes the biggest of all trees, right? That covers uh, all, uh, and shades so many animals and so many things, where even the birds come and, and lay it, uh, stands on its branches. And that imagery that what we see in Isaiah 61 and what the imagery that Jesus actually talks about when it talks about uh, a mustard seed is actually the purpose of actually that the church is actually called to protect and to cover and to look out. For example, um, Dr. Sammy uh, two weeks ago shared a story about how I wanted to quit ministry because I sucked, right? Um, and um, I, would, I would have to say that, it, I mean, everything, what he was saying was so spot on and so true. That conversation was pretty crazy because I, I just wanted to quit ministry right there. Um, but I would have to say that that was one of the most powerful and most monumental uh, moments and conversations in my life because Doc challenged me to be faithful into this small mustard seed called 180 Fellowship. And to be honest with you, to do that ministry for all those so many years and um, where it is right now, I am surprised by God's grace, uh, where it has gone, what it has grown into, and what it's becoming. Uh, because at that moment, during that time, like Doc said, no one was really coming. No one was there. And when, when Doc was sharing that conversation with me, um, it, it gave me encouragement to fight and to uh, be faithful to that one seed. And I, and I said to myself at that moment, okay, whatever the numbers are, whatever that comes in, um, I'm going to be faithful to whatever it is, big or small. And so four years ago, uh, we decided to do that and we tried to live that out. So we decided to say, okay, if that's the case, 
we're going to just outreach to anyone in New York City, uh, NYU. And so we're just going to rent spot dessert bar. And we're going to pay $500, which is a lot of money. And we're going to see who comes. And back then, our motto was like, you know, the one lost sheep. You know, like, you know, God goes for that one lost sheep. So no matter what, we'll fight for the one lost sheep. But in my mind, even though it was a one lost sheep, it was $500. And that was a lot of church money, especially back then. And I was like, OK, it's going to be hopefully more than one sheep comes in. And so, but we did it. What else is there to lose, right? <laughs> because there's no one really coming in. And so we, we set it up, we planned it, we invited everyone to come in. And when it first, the event first started, in the first 10 minutes, only one person came in. Zuri Yip. <laughs> and I was like, wow, she's going to be eating a lot of desserts. <laughs> she was the only one there for the first 10 to 15 minutes. I was like, oh God, $500 for one person. Man, this is, God is really teaching me one lost sheep. <laughs> but you know what was actually surprising? Oh, thank God that it wasn't just one. After 30 minutes later, because I realized college students are late to everything, um, they come 30 minutes later, one actually became like about like 10. And you know, now um, that 10 actually became 20 to 25. But uh, I, I say that not because of the numbers, but I'm actually, I just wanted to share that with you because uh, the type of people that are coming into our church and our fellowship of those 25. And this is something that I didn't strategize. This is something that I didn't plan. This is something that I didn't organize at all. But what was the biggest surprise and still a surprise to me as um, I've been in this college ministry, working with many of the college students here, I love you guys so much. You guys are so amazing working with us, uh, working um, and, and sacrificing, is that the, the most of the students in our, in our fellowship in our club are actually international students. And I'm like, why are they coming here, God? You know, I'm like, out of all people, like, they're not in our agenda. They're not in our plan. But, you know, for some reason, they're coming in. And the more I talk to many of these students, and the more I, I, I have them actually, um, and as they're engaging, a lot of them are people that are outside of faith. But a lot of them are actually looking for a place where they're home away from home. And they're looking for a place where they could actually find rest. And for some reason, some way, somehow, the, God is leading them to 180 to find that rest. You know, there's another story about a, um, like a former international student. He's an engineer, and he's actually a seeker in our church. Um, and, you know, I had dinner with him some recently, and he said, you know, I... I, you know, for, um, you know, my family is Hindu. I come from a Hindu background. But I, I got to say that even though I don't believe, um, I really love 180. I was like, why? Like, what is it about our church that you like? He goes, I don't know what it is, but every time I come here and, I, and even though I'm late half the time um, in these seats, you know, every time, like, I, I'm, I'm listening to the message or, um, or worshiping to the songs, I feel like I could find rest. You know, I find refuge in a place like this because the city is so, so brutal. And the reason why I share these stories, guys, is because um, it's not just 180, but in the world, that's the calling of the church. And when the church is functioning in the way that we're called to in alignment with God's vision, especially in Isaiah 61, what we've become are people that are looking far and wide who are feeling tired and exhausted, feeling shame or feeling hopeless 
And this is the place where they could find restoration, but actually find refuge. In fact, in the history of the church, in the past 2,000 years, although the church has been in the wrong side of history at certain times, and I, and I could admit that because I, you know, I studied it, you know, church history, for most of the time in our church, when we're aligned to a vision, what brings people together and what brings people to believe in God and the reality is God is where, where the church has stand for the oppressed, the broken, the needy. You know, a friend of mine, she works for UN Policy, and that's what she told me um, in, in a personal lens. She said, and you know, she has a, and she wrote this on her Facebook too. Uh, she was like, she has a love and hate relationship with, you know, church, because that's where she grew up, and it, it can be very complex. But she was saying that the more and more she works in a global perspective, and she's dealing with the people that are so far uh, marginalized and even in third world, she cannot escape the fact that the that the first people that will go to the furthest of places and the darkest of places, uh, where even the government doesn't want to go, is actually Christian organizations. You know, when people count, when, when the world counts people out, it's actually Christians are the ones that actually go into those places because of Isaiah 61 here. And so when the church and the people of the church align and um, live it out, we actually become the tree. And that's why I want to share that with you, because we're a tree that actually brings refuge for those who are hurting and those who are needy. And that's what it actually means to actually restore beauty. And so I want to invite you guys to that. And I hope 180, as we continue to grow, because we are just a small seed that's actually growing. Right? And I hope that as, our, as a people of God, um, even in our mess, because let me tell you, when I was, at, uh, when I was leading one of your fellowship, I was a mess. I'm still a mess now, and God is still using me. But I want to tell you guys that even in our mess, as we align to God's vision and fight for it, there is something beautiful that God can do through our lives, individually and corporately as our church. And I hope we all together uh, live that out and find out what that actually looks like in our lives. So the next point is this. What, is it, what does it mean to be a church that uh, restores beauty? We are messy, but in that, God creates a masterpiece. We are a beautiful mess. So will you please stand with me? The heart of Abba Father is to advance the good of everyone gathered here in the world to the furthest extent possible. You know, my wife went to a parent-teacher's conference. I never go to those things because I don't know what I might say. <laughs> so my wife goes, you should just stay home. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And, um, and the science teacher said to uh, my wife, you know, it's like, yeah, he's pretty smart. He goes, no, no, no. He's like a genius, genius. Like, he's smarter than everybody in this school. And then my wife was telling me the story, and I was like, yeah, pretty much. It's just like his dad. <laughs> no, his mom, his mom. He's like, and, um, or, or when someone compliments Josh, saying he's the cutest kid I've ever seen, it brings joy to the father, because he looks just like me. And, um, <laughs> but see, see, what a lot of people don't understand about the church, because the, a, a lot of times the, the bounded set, sociological 
perspective of the church, the legality and the moral framework of the church has been so dominant for so long that people forgot that the church is supposed to be the house. That's why our logo is a house, the house of God. When God looks at you, he's your father. He created you. Just like I receive the greatest joy when I see the beauty of my kids and their greatest attributes that been given to them. The church is God the Father trying to bring out the best in you that he's given you and put in you. See, it's not, tell someone you're beautiful. And you're like, well, relatively beautiful. But, but the truth is, if God is literally the epicenter of all beauty and all glory, that seed is in you. Because you're his creation, you're his son and daughter. It's just that it's a seed. And this, this is something I learned in 20 years of ministry. <clears throat> a seed cannot become a tree overnight. So a lot of you in this room is like, well, I'm never going to be beautiful and I'm never going to have glory. I'm just, you know, stumbling in the darkness, probably. But you can't discount the fact that inherently God's beauty is already in you. And God is just trying to bring that out. That's why God hates sin. Hate, God hates sin because it steals your beauty and his glory in you. And why do people come to the church? Or when we invite people to church, why do people come to the church in the city? Is it because they really love God and want to be holy? Sometimes, very rarely. It's usually because they're drunk or in despair. Or usually what I've seen is when people break up, they usually come to the church. And they leave when they date, date again. I've seen this happen in our own church multiple times. And then they get married in the church and they stay forever. But, I mean, you know, I mean, does a bird, like just from an organic perspective, when a bird sees a tree, it doesn't say, oh, wow, this is a beautiful tree. I think I'm going to stop here. No, it stops there because it's tired. It wants to rest. It doesn't matter the motive why people come or why they rest or why they need rest, right? This is the whole point of what grace is, folks. Grace is something you receive and you don't even know it. And it alleviates pain. It brings healing. And you might not even attribute it to God. And so when do you change? You change when you realize it was God's grace that God's, that tree was there or that person was there or that message was there or that arm around your shoulder was there. And when you begin to realize the dots that God's love and God's grace been extended to you through weaving of his story in your life, then you go, man, God's so faithful. God's so good. And then praise begins to erupt. So today, I want you to receive God's heart for all of you. Then from that overflow, that fondue fountain of, for me, chocolate, but found the fountain of love, from the, over, from the overflowing eternal community of love and the Godhead and the Trinity, the hope is that we would receive the overflowing of God's love in our community and it would go to the world. So will you lift your hands with me today and receive the Father's love for you? I've seen this for decades. No one overcomes addiction or stupidity in shenanigans that they're in because they try hard, because of their willpower. The only time we 
will really change is when you begin to realize a transcending perspective of God's heart for you that he really does have the best plan. And the most loving person in your life and you begin to trust you put take your life out of your hands and you put it into his so will you do that right now i want to pray right now holy spirit that you would release the revelation of the love of the father his heart for us to want to flourish at the center of our church community that's really at the center of it we want every tree to flourish to bear fruit so that it could be good for the world and its environment but also to bring glory to you father so will you release that perspective to us? That you are trying to bring out the beauty that you put in us because we're created in your image. Father, I want to pray that every single person gathered in our community would experience the goodness of the Father, his commitment to us, his ever longing for us to be completely healed of our brokenness, filled by his love to represent him by bearing much fruit in our lives. Father, I pray that some of our stubborn ways, our stubborn thoughts, think that we know better. I pray that we would begin to surrender those tendencies, those propensities, and truly begin to understand the heart of the Father for us. He wants to take you to places that you could have never imagined. He wants to use you in ways you would never believe. More than you can even ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 And I pray today, Father, that your love would be cemented in our hearts and would overflow in us to the center of the city all around the world to your glory. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hey everyone, we just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today. We want to invite you to join us for our Sunday service. We meet at the AMC Lowe's Theater at 19th and Broadway in Manhattan at 12 noon, and we'd love to see you guys there. We also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests. It's available at 5397-PRAYER and at prayer at 180church.tv. In the midst of life, if you need prayer, our team is available to lift you up in your struggles, and we're always there for you. You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv.